Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode two for season 10. Now, this episode was recorded on Tuesday, the 25th of February for release on the 11th of March, 2020. This episode is sponsored by the language Algol and by any four-dimensional transformation matrix. I'm Drew Freeman here with my trial by fire co-host, Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Drew. This show, we bring back season nine co-host and Ray Wenderlich contributor, Jennifer Bailey. Jen is a freelance Android and iOS developer, as well as a full-time computer science professor for Ames Community College in Colorado, where she teaches a certificate in mobile app development, including Android and iOS platforms. She also teaches courses in Python, Java, C++, and a certificate for development in the .NET (laughs) platform, utilizing C Sharp. Wow, an underachiever here. (laughs) On this episode, Jen will be talking to us about the different ways to save data on Android, and then later, Alex will explain to us his excavation of KTOR, or at least dipping his toe in. Jen, welcome back to the show. It it feels like it's been only three or four episodes. Hey, it's great to be back. It's awesome to have a reunion. Yay. What better way to to spend our 10th anniversary with the with the podcast and to start bringing back some some familiar old faces i love it or young faces <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you thank you very much so we we talked a lot last season about you at the community college um where you've now how long have you been teaching at, at, at alms this is my ninth year, so at the end of this year, I'll be full professor. <laughs> Ooh, wow, congratulations. Awesome. Well, thank you. We've, we've talked about you teaching and talked about you dealing with students in, in a lot of the episodes last season, but talk to me about what you do when you're not coding. Oh my goodness, is there anything but coding to do? <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot on the show, I really do, but there's... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, I would say I do actually have some hobbies. So I like to be active in the community. So it's related to coding, but I run the local GDG chapter um, and I do some meetups with that. Um, I also, um, when it's not technology related, I like to rollerblade. I have four pets, so two cats and two dogs. And my family, um, I grew up on a farm, so my family has horses and my daughter likes to train horses and I have a little horse. So sometimes we go horseback riding out on the trails and Colorado is so beautiful. So there's a lot of hiking and outdoors opportunities um, when I leave the computer, which is rare. (laughs) You're near Denver, which means there's a lot of beauty, but not a lot of air. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. It is definitely the mile high city. So um, you can feel winded. I love going to sea level because I feel like I'm in a mega shape. I can practically run a mile oh, wow. at sea level. <laughs> and That's cool. Can you actually tell the difference? Oh, it's it's day and night. I feel invincible when really? I go to sea level. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. So you kind of have a little superpower from living high up. Definitely. I know a lot of the people who do uh, parkour and a lot of that uh, like American Ninja stuff are now training in Denver so that they can do it with the uh, the lack of air. And then when they come down to Vegas to compete, it's it's just like they're, they're monsters. That would make sense. And I think it helps our sports teams. I think it helps the local football team when we have home games. The other teams struggle here a little bit with the altitude. Wow. 
What so, an unfair advantage. It totally <laughs> is, because after about two or three weeks, your body adjusts and you start to feel semi-normal. Um, if I remember correctly, there was a, one of the, I think, Pittsburgh Steelers was not allowed to compete in Denver because of the fact that he had some rare blood disease that would cause a problem if he got overexerted in the... I, I I could be wrong on all of this, but I, I, I vaguely remember a story on that. I haven't heard the story, but I've definitely heard of people. People oftentimes move away from the area because uh, it can cause a myriad of health problems if you're sensitive to the oh, low wow. oxygen. So mm. um, especially as people age, sometimes they like to move closer to sea level. So let's let's talk about about files and android great okay so um i don't know i've recently been an author on this lovely book Um, i love the dragon this is right how can we forget to this that uh hold the book up again oh yes so i love the dragon too very nice cover art on that one awesome and that's (laughs) saving data on android which is available from ray wenderlich press yes great book I very much um, am proud of that book, and the whole team was very knowledgeable. Um, and I had the privilege of uh, getting the files chapter, so I like to begin things at the beginning. And your most simplest way of saving some data, other than shared preferences, would be uh, file storage. In order to save files in Android, um, you have to take a few things into consideration uh, because there's different types of storage and the device ecosphere is so vast. Um, So some devices are going to have external storage, but that's not always guaranteed. When you say external storage, does that mean like an SD card? Yeah, like an SD card. Or like a hard drive plugged into it? Yeah, um, I mainly am referring to an SD card. And so um, the first consideration when you need to, to store a file is the availability. Where am I going to store this file? Um, and so external storage might not always be available. Why am I getting an image of, a, of an Android with a 20 terabyte <laughs> rack attached to it? That sounds like something. That's just the Android world. Yeah, that's something this developer community might do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, so and another consideration is, um, are these files going to be available to other apps, um, or is this just a Mm. file that's available for the app itself? So your simplest way would be to use the internal storage. And so you can save a file in there, um, and those are only accessible by the app that stored them, and they'll be removed when it's uninstalled. We say internal storage. I think this has always kind of confused me, because like, isn't all storage on the phone inside the phone? That's what it makes me think. The of. SD card is inserted into the phone. Yeah, you, you put it inside. So, so it's internal to the phone. That always kind of threw me for a loop. But it's removable. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I, I guess that's fair. And I think some devices are like partitions. So there's internal, external, but it's both on the hard drive. 
if I understand it right. Oh, and then, this feels even more confusing. Yeah, so, uh, and that's the problem with, with the Android Ecosphere. All these devices are different, and they're all different um, iterations of Android. Um, so you have to, uh, your first consideration is like, okay, what kind of access do I need? And say we decide, I just want to store a little file um, with a piece of information for my app only. So I'll do that in internal storage. Um, and that's only going to be accessible by the app that stored them. If I wanted to save to external storage, my first step is I have to see if that external storage is there. <laughs> is it available? Mm. Is, oh, because they, they could have removed the SD yeah, card. So yeah, so you have to check that if the sense. external storage is there. Internal Ugh. storage, you can pretty much count on. Um, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. And, you know, I think you can check the availability of disk space and stuff like that, too. So I, I would never I would never have thought about the concept of my removable storage is removable. <laughs> therefore, check to see. It's, and the worst part is I, I worked on the desktop platforms. <laughs> I, 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 I've worked in, the, in the, the, the Mac and the Windows world where, yes, you have hard drives that can go away. So it just yeah. on on a on a mobile device, I just don't think about that concept of you know here I, I saved a file, but did is the media that I saved that yeah. file to still there? Yeah, I feel like the ecosystem's been moving away from SD cards a bit, but I could just be focused in on my little. I've had a Pixel One for the last oh, wow. million years, <laughs> so I might just be focused in on my realm, but. But do a lot of are are the new phones that are coming out? Do a lot of them still support external SD cards, or has it kind of been now my like phasing Samsung away? Galaxy Seven did, and then with my Pixel Four, I don't mm. know if it, I I I don't think it did because I didn't put one in it. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Pixels have SD cards. Yeah, so I used to um, insist on that. So the last phone I had was the mm. Samsung S Seven, and it definitely does. Um, as I was picky about that, I hate running out of space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What changed? Why did you stop being picky about I it? I wanted, uh, a lot of that is now writing with Ray Winderlich and also teaching classes. I want stock mm. Android and I've wanted a Pixel for a long time. Mm. So when it, when I finally dropped my S7, it lived a lot longer than I thought it would. I usually break a phone <laughs> within two years. <laughs> so that's usually <laughs> what prompts me for a new one is a nice spider web on the screen. Oh, so I wanted the I like Pixel it. 4 really bad this year, and my provider had a sale, so I was able to like nice. get two for cheap, and me and my mom both needed phones at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, one thing neat with the internal storage that I hadn't discovered prior to studying up on this topic, um, Android Studio has um, a device file explorer so there's a little tab down at the off to the side that you can expand and you can just open and look in all the folders uh to look at the device storage in there and so it that is very cool yeah it's always saved in like a data folder and then the name of your app package so you can go and expand that and you can look at all the uh, device and emulator storage, uh, but it's only going to work on um, if the device is rooted or um, if it's a standard emulator like the AOSP system image. And you have to, of course, have the USB debugging enabled. But that was really neat to be able to write an app to save a file, and then you can just write in Android Studio, expand that tab, and go look for it. 
you can download it and work with it from there. Can you delete it? I feel like that could make development flows a lot easier if you can just right-click, delete the file nice and easily. You oh, can. I love it. So you can right-click on the file. It's got a synchronize option so that it'll keep the directory. It'll synchronize Ooh. the directory. You can Fancy. save as. It'll put it. It'll download it onto your. I don't know why it would. Why you need to download it, but you can save as, and then you can browse to a path and put it on your desktop. So so that you don't have to go a million folders deep into your emulator store. Storage path, um, and you can delete yeah, that's it. wonderful. <laughs> you could also copy the path, so if you want to know where it's at, so that's very helpful. And then um, it's a lot like any other platform um, with the internal storage. You can just read, write, delete. Um, you shouldn't need special permissions on the internal storage. Um, you can use a cache on the internal. So if you would just want to cache a temporary file. Um, you can open a file as a cached file instead, and that way, that way you don't have any control if the system is going to later delete that temporary storage. So you'd only do that if you don't care. Yeah. So if you make something a cache file, you don't have to worry about cleaning it up or deleting it or anything like It'd that? It'd probably be best practice to clean it up if you don't need it anymore, but um, the device may... Uh, clean it out itself. You don't have any control over when it's going to do that. Okay. So, <laughs> That's nice. As long as it's small. That sounds handy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so that's nice for just writing a small piece of information. And that is sandboxed with your app. So other apps um, and the user can't go look at that. So the user can't go look at those files um, uh, manually without, you know, rooting the device. Oh, interesting. And that other apps can't access that space. So that's very personal space for the app. That's another thing that I don't think I ever really internalized about the Android file structure. How, if you save off a file, um, if I'm an app developer and I create, yeah, like a cached file or something like that and I save it off, does can the user just go through their device manager and and find the file or can other apps see that file or or is it is it really just mine not on the internal storage yeah so on the internal storage i don't think you could through um uh, regular means. So, of course, with Androids, we can. <laughs> regular <laughs> <Yeah>. means. <laughs> so, I don't think your file we'll manager. Means. Yeah, your file manager won't do it, and like other apps aren't going to be able to get into it. So, that's a great place to save a little um, nice. file specific to the app. And then, then we come into like external storage. So with external storage, mm. that gets us into you need a permission for that. Um, and we'll t I'll talk a little bit later about uh, the controversy that's been going on because the way this worked prior to Android Ooh. 10, yeah, with external storage, you it, that's your shared storage. Um, so you can just request the permission, uh, the write or the read, and then you can write files into the external storage. Um, there's your external app storage. Uh, you can read from anywhere in that shared storage, or at least prior to 10 and 11's changes. Um, and and in that case, if you had an app stored on your, if you had an app installed on your external storage, other apps can go read their internal storage too. What? So there is some Whoa, definite. Whoa, that, that blows my mind. <laughs> Isn't that you crazy? Could, I 
I don't think I had ever internalized that you can <laughs> install an app to your, it makes perfect sense, to your SD card. And okay. that's on the external then, storage, so. And wait, so now every other app can, like, view the internal If I understood, uh, if I way? understand correctly, that's how I understood it. That uh, And it, it's like. I love it. <laughs> so uh, that kind of exposes the app's internal storage because all apps that have the permission can read off the external storage. And also they can write wherever. So um that has lent itself to, you know, that puts the burden on the developer to not make a mess of the device, not to write files all over the place, mm. um, because those are not removed when you uninstall the app, or at least prior to these changes. Oh. And so it was nice because you could have all that freedom. But um, if developers aren't responsible, it causes security concerns. You can get files all over the oh, that's device <laughs> and yeah. storage on devices is always a big deal because we're always running low on storage. Yeah. So if you had an app that wrote a bunch of data to external storage and then the user uninstalled that app because they wrote it to external storage, it wouldn't be cleared. That would just kind of linger. Yep, but it can linger. <laughs> So, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. So, are those files are those files signed or in any way assigned to the app that that wrote them out? Previously, I don't think so. So, um, uh, so they were just random files in a file structure. Yeah, it, they could be, and there is a, a there is a data folder on the apps, on the external storage that has the app package name, but you don't have to put your files only there. So I think if you put it in the data folder, then it is identifiable mm. that it belongs to the app. But there's nothing to say you have to do that. So you can write in other apps folders. You can write wherever you want. So it starts to cause a bit <laughs> of a problem. Other apps folders. That's amazing. <laughs> and so it used well, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that when you get your privileges, or when you get your your privileges for what you can write, hopefully another app is said, "Yes, this is my folder." They're not allowed to write in my folder. And hopefully, I'm not sure if if you're able to do that. So um, it, it could cause some conflicts and problems. And so the going recommendation was, well, if you're going to write to external storage and it's going to be sensitive, then you need to use some sort of encryption like some AES encryption oh, wow. or something so that if it's a, it's sensitive in any way, if other apps read it, it's then at least encrypted. That's interesting. That really kills a lot of my confidence in, in creating new files. If it's, but this is only for external yeah, storage, Yeah, so the external right? storage, is, it, it does, uh, does not, this does not apply. So the external storage, it's okay. like, well, if you're going to put something sensitive out there, then use some sort of encryption. Is there a built-in encryption library so that you can basically pump your, uh, your data through that library? I'm sure there's several. So there's a tutorial on our Ray Wenderlich site that has used using the AES password-based key derivation encryption, and it talks about using that on a file. So there are some built-in tools that make that doable. Um, like a, there's a cipher tool that you can use. Um, it is quite a long process to encrypt the file and decrypt it. Um, but lately, files have gotten a bit more interesting. So in the next edition of the book, we might have to manage or we might have to update the chapter to include the um, new 
recommendations from Google or what Google's going to now enforce in Android 11. And what is it that Google is going to be enforcing in Android 11? <laughs> yeah, so scope storage was introduced in Android 10, um, and they were going to uh, have everyone adopt that. And they got a bit of feedback from the developers that... <laughs> <laughs> feedback. <laughs> yeah. So they ended up getting quite a bit of feedback for, for that, and they didn't enforce it in 10. But what scope storage is, is it um, puts you... It, is you have to... Um, you have an external folder very much like your internal folder, and the apps only have access to that. So you can't just access all the external storage um, after Android 11, that will be gone. So you'll have to use scope storage from that point out. And it was to kill the abuse of the read external storage permission. Um, and the, I believe it was, oh, the Android Dev Summit at um, 2019. There's a good talk about that. So we can provide that in the show notes. And they, they said that like 50% of apps were requesting that file permission, but a very small percentage were actually needing it. So they really didn't need that broad of access, but they were requesting the permission. Now, if you're creating a suite of apps where they need to exchange the data, then that's still possible, right? It is, and you have to use some built-in means. So if an app wants to expose its data, it can provide like a content provider. So Google Drive is a good example. It provides an interface um, to where you can select files from it and it exposes. So an app can choose to expose its data via a provider, and then the consumer app can subscribe to that provider via like, um, oh, what are the content URIs? It's also been a while since I've touched content providers, but if I remember correctly, it's not the most easy to use, simple, fun task to expose all your data that way, right? Or am I making that up? I, uh, I would agree. I wrote also a chapter on content provider and um, they are a little bit complicated. So they're a little bit like SQL queries. You filter them and um, they can feel a little dated now that Room came out because they still use the cursor. So you go through your results with a loop on like the has next method. Um, so People are becoming a little bit allergic to cursors ever since we got room database because the tag based markup is just, in my opinion, I bear, I don't know a lot about it, but I sure do like it. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't take very long to just write an app that uses that. Is, is that going to like kill a ton of file manager apps? Well, that's a really good question because the apps that are most affected are like file manager apps and apps that um, do backup uh, of storage. And they're not gonna kill them because um, what they have right now is there's a link on their documentation. Uh, you can get whitelisted in the Play Store. So it's like apps oh. that need SMS permission or call permission. Yeah. Um, so through the Play Store, you have to justify why you need that permission. And they've stated that a custom picker is not a good reason. However, a file manager app would be. So you might be able to get whitelisted in the Play Store because um, there is a small percentage of apps that do need a list of any files or directories for a legitimate purpose. Um, and they're looking actively right now um, at, based on the talk and links on their documentation pages for 
use cases that they're missing. So they want to know from developers, is there a use case uh, that needs this permission that we're missing? You know, so if your app is destroyed by this, I if I were the developer or knew the developer, I would totally try to to get um, give them feedback and let them know your use case, see if they'll whitelist you or um, it, it might help them to improve the tools for future apps. Mm. So I've seen um, I've seen a lot of developers that are really upset. Oh, I, <laughs> and I, I haven't really been able to to chalk like to figure out what exactly people are so upset about. Is it that like uh, Google is forcing you to use their UI when you're picking files? Is it that people were sharing files in external storage and they don't want to use content URIs? Or, I think one why of the are things people so angry now yeah, is uh, when I was writing the book and doing my research, I looked at the storage access framework and um, I noticed a developer community opinion that a lot of people prefer to st- to, to stay away from that. Um, and so they've made some improvement, uh, but they've made some improvements to kind of uh, um, make it a little better. One thing was bulk file changing. You couldn't change files in bulk without giving permission to every. So if someone selected a big group of, oh. of files and wanted to make the same change to all of them, they'd have to allow permission on every single one. So they've now made a bulk edit, which is nice. So they've made okay. some improvements between uh, version 10 and version 11 of the story. So do users have to give apps like permission to access individual files? They did, and now they can do it a little bit in bulk, but you have to give access. Uh, now the user will be asked permission, like this app is going to try, uh, this app needs permission now to look at files outside of its okay. little sandbox. Um, there's also a separate permission for like images and stuff uh, if you can have the location data. So if you're going to get the EXIF metadata, you have to request permission for that too. So you couldn't go look at, you couldn't write a stalker app like a, a, a stalk somebody app. that's <laughs> like, just watch their photos all the time and look at their location data. <laughs> Without getting user permission. <laughs> Stalkers are us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I definitely have seen it. Like, there's definitely some comments on the YouTube talks and stuff from the developer community. So how many new permissions have they introduced as part of this? It sounds like there's more granular permissions for the individual files. There's these location permissions. I assume there's like a bulk edit permission or something like that. But it feels like there's a lot of extra stuff coming through. There's uh, probably about three, I think I saw. So one for the location okay. and then whether you can have the files at all. And I, I can't remember. There might have been one more. So I can't remember off the top of my head, but two or three. Uh, and now the uh, and with the bulk permission, it'll list the files in a big list and say, will you allow the app to do uh, to modify all these files um in 10 it would pop them each up individually so of course (laughs) if you selected a whole bunch of files and um so for deleting it they have the media uh, for deleting and editing they have the media api but you'll uh, the user will have to give permission to change or delete files from here on out so you can't have an app that's just going to delete the files 
The app is able to copy a file into its own storage and then modify oh, okay. it from there. And they don't want you to do that very often because that, of course, would use up more space. <laughs> so if you could... Wait, if you can just copy a file from from the external storage, then... So they're, they're not really protecting, like, the content of the file as much as its presence? Because couldn't you just copy something out from external storage and... Now you have access to that file, yeah, right? Yeah, I think the user would have had to give you permission to read it. So you would have been warned okay. that, like, this okay. app is going to access your files, and then it could make copies. So it wouldn't be able to copy it without your permission. Okay. that makes sense. Because there's read and the right. Okay, cool. And it definitely locks it down um, quite a bit more. And what from what I'm reading, I haven't re- wrote an app on iOS that does files but it's starting to look more like the iOS file management way of doing mm-hmm. things from what I was reading. Oh, wait, I can participate in this yeah, conversation. So I'm looking over <laughs> at Drew on my screen. Join us. <laughs> does iOS have more secure files? Well, iOS, iOS has always been very, uh, very sandboxed uh, to, uh, to keep apps apart. Now, I haven't worked in things like Dropbox or the Files app to to find out how you actually go bridging over into other uh, apps uh, documents. Most of my attention has been more on file format and what I'm actually putting into the document than storing it. Now I know that the the storage has different scopes. You know whether or not it's document scope or user scope or um, cloud scope, etc. One of the other changes they made, um, one of the reasons why I stayed away from the storage access framework um, was one, it wasn't particularly popular all the time, but it it has like media providers. So you can look at images, you can look at the videos, you can look at pictures. Those have to be put in their right folders. So you can't put sound files in your photos folder. Um, it'll give you what's called collections of those different types of media. Uh, for my book, I wanted to do text files. So um, the cha- one of the changes they made would accommodate me because now the downloads folder is included as a collection and you can put stuff like text files, PDFs, documents in there. So before I was like, well, I can't write, uh, you know, my app for the book with um, the file storage access framework because it's only working for like images and those sorts of collections. And I didn't want to work with those. (laughs) So um, now if you wanted to do documents, they added a downloads category to that. So that's nice. And you can't select the downloads as a whole. So you can't have the user give access to the entire downloads folder because a lot of apps now might be putting their external files in there. Oh, that's interesting. So the user has to go So do they <laughs> The user has to go through the picker and select the file that it can have permission to. Interesting. So this is going to be a much more granular control for the user over what they is. want to give that app access to. It definitely is. Is that based on app or is that based on file type? Um, That is based on file type. So, or the collections are. So it'll show you all the images or all the sound files that are in the shared space as part of the collection. And it keeps Mm -hmm. them in the right um, places. So you can't sit and you don't need permission to contribute to that. So if I have it, that's one nice thing. If I have an app where I want to save photos, I don't need permission to add it to the photos collection. 
Now, if I want to edit and delete photos that were not created by my app, that's when I'm going to have to get permission from the user. But you can write your, if the um, app writes a, fo a photo, it can then edit and delete it if it belongs to the app. And Drew had an, in okay, cool. an interesting question from before. Now they're identifiable, so um, you can tell which app the files came from. So, okay. so they did make that very uh, identifiable. Okay. So the, it sounds like they're putting in some effort to make sure if if you if you were an app that was writing to external storage your own files that that shouldn't be too disrupted. Yeah. So that's a, that's something you don't really even um, need to get the permission for, if I uh, understand it correctly. Nice. But if you want to edit photos that were pre-existing, it's going to notify the user and ask for the permission. Are they asking for the permission per photo? Or are they saying he's going to want to uh, edit images? Do you have permission to the image collection? I believe it's to the collection when it comes to images, with the exception being the downloads folder. So you, there's no way mm. to say, yes, this app can look at the whole, every file in the downloads folder. But I think when it's uh, videos or photos or other collections, you can. All right. So we've talked about internal storage and external storage. Are there any other forms of storage that we've missed <laughs> at this point? <laughs> There's meta storage. Yeah. Well, you could um, read the book, but as far as files are concerned, that pretty much uh, sums it up. And with the changes coming, it's getting a little more granular, as Alex said, and um, a little more exciting. I guess one thing that they mentioned is that people who wrote their apps with C++ are the ones most affected by the change. So they're trying to mm. modify the libraries a bit. Um, oh, that's the third permission. The, the other permission is that you have to grant permission to get the path of the file. So people who wrote oh, their apps okay. in C++ are kind of dependent on those paths and um, the... Uh, they're encouraged to use the media store API instead, um, but there's a little more work involved if you wrote your app that way for porting it into the uh, scope storage. <laughs> I'm assuming as opposed to Kotlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I've had a student um, write a, an app with a button on it in C++, but I've never done it myself. <laughs> so. <laughs> he had yeah, it sounds it sounds a little painful it, it looked painful to me <laughs> he managed to get a button on there um it, it looked very difficult to me <laughs> so you mentioned a few best practices are there any other best practices really that we should keep an eye on for this um one thing that you don't want to do is open and close files repeatedly because that can um mm slow down your performance. So the slowest part of the file read is when you first open it and do your first read. So it's better just to keep it open for the duration of time that you're going to use it. Um, and if you want to share individual files or app data with other apps, then um, you can use the file provider API. And so if you want to expose data to other apps, you can use content provider. So those are some best practices. And unless you need external storage, of course, the best practice would be to use internal 
Um, and he, be mindful uh, that all the apps share the space and the space is limited on the device. So the less, less is more. <laughs> when you open up a file, are you opening read or opening write or is it just opening? Uh, you specify read or write. Can you open read write? Or is it only one or the other? I think you can do both. Okay. So you can do read, write, or read, write. Because it'd just be difficult if you have to keep opening and closing to change from read oh, mode yeah. to write mode to read mode to write mode. Yep. Yep. So. Which, if you're doing that, yeah. you may want to rethink the program you're writing. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something. Something's gone wrong. <laughs> Somewhere higher up the chain. There. That's true. That's true. I vaguely recall running into a lot of vendor specific issues when writing files do you know if that's still a pain i mean it's kind of a pain point across all of android but it's been getting better so i'm wondering if if that story has has evolved if you ran into any vendor specific issues i didn't run into that much i think maybe you would with device file explorer if it if the if it wasn't standard but mostly i think the apis have kind of extrapolated their kind of generic from mm. my experience but i haven't um yeah. i haven't tried a lot on really niche devices so i uh, i personally yeah. haven't run into that is there any sort of testing story around files like if i wanted to test that my app correctly wrote some file and then read some data from it is there any sort of like built-in helpers that Google provides or anything like that? Or are you just kind of on your Not own? Not that I know of. So I think you're kind of on your own for that. <laughs> so so basically your your test algorithm consists of write my file, then read my file and make sure I wrote what I read. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can open it up and look it over or write a program to go through it. <laughs> they are I mean well I mean unit testing wise it's fairly straightforward you know the data to that you're going to push in and yeah 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 and and once it, you know that you're writing you know you're writing so at a certain point you're kind of just testing that the operating system actually makes a file and persists <laughs> it so yeah it's probably not the most important thing <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I trust Android to do that. <laughs> Remember, you want at least 125% code coverage with your unit tests. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Make sure it does the thing front, forward, and then back again. And then just duplicate the test a few times. And then unit test your unit test, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god. So you get a high number of green tests. Just <laughs> copy and paste the same test. <laughs> Oh, that is too funny. Jen, the standard question for you, with all of the stuff that you researched on storage and files and all the changes coming in on 12, you know the question, and that is, we got Google engineers listening. Is there anything you'd personally like to see changed, or is there is there something that you'd say this has been really great, or or just comments that you have that... that that you have there. Well, I think it's really great that they're listening to the developers in the community and making an effort to collect the feedback and be responsive to that. Um, I am kind of on board with the changes. Uh, I don't have any apps that need those file permissions. Um, so I think it's nice to make the sphere a little more secure. Um, so I'm looking forward to the changes. I would like to learn more about the file access framework and um the media collections so i th i think it's a necessary change so i could get on board with it <laughs> it's hard in the community every time that uh 
the security gets a little more tight because as Android developers, I think one of the things that draws us to it is the wide open possibilities. But um, yeah. in a way, it's necessary to keep the devices from being cluttered. And to the most important person with the app is the user. So I guess I'm in favor of it because I think it gives the user better protection um, and it informs the user of what their apps are going to have access to a little more clearly. So I'm kind of in favor of the changes, but I do feel bad for developers who will have to rewrite their apps and make heavy changes. <laughs> that's never fun. Jen, that's really great information about all the file storage information. I am also interested to hear how things are changing. And I assume that with Google I.O. this year, they may make more changes or more adaptations to what's uh, what the policies are and how things are going. It looks like they're moving more and more into sandboxing and a set simple UX system in there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we will see more changes with Android 11 as they enforce that policy um, from that point forward. And Alex, you, on the other hand, have been playing with some new technology. You've been playing with KTOR. Yeah, I have. What exactly is KTOR? Yeah, so KTOR is a um, like a web server framework that the uh, IntelliJ team put out when Colin first came out. So it's basically their homegrown answer to, like, I want to build a server with Kotlin. They provide uh, a framework. And I've been starting to like dip my toes into the server world. Very much dipping like one pinky toe in there. So what have you done so far? Really as little as I could. <laughs> yeah, so I've been building a, a very simple game that has um, a little web socket so that you can communicate with different players within the game. And I've been using KTOR to kind of create a couple APIs and then really facilitate that web socket. Um, and so far it's been really easy, which is a great testament to the framework. Um, there's You have your main function, and then you set up a little routing table, and it uses Kotlin's awesome DSL, domain-specific language stuff, so that it just feels like you're kind of writing a little language for your, when my post comes in, I do this. When my get comes in, I do this. Create a new WebSocket with this. And it supports coroutines, and, and so far it's been pretty seamless. Admittedly, I haven't done super advanced stuff, but I've been pretty happy with it. What's excited you the most about it? I think the fact that I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I took, um, I, in a, in a previous life, I, I tried to dip my pinky toe into, um, spring, which is like a Java web framework. Mm -hmm. And I failed so miserably. It was a spectacular fail. It was, it was impressive even. Um, so with KTOR, it, everything, uh, feels very straightforward. I, I, their documentation was quite good. Um, I didn't have any like threading concerns, just the fact that there was a main function that I could look at and that had some method that looked like start server and it took in some route. It, it all felt very straightforward. I think that's, what's really been, uh, feeling good about it. Yeah. Where do you think you're going to go next with it? Or have you decided that that's enough for now? Or are you going to try to, to plumb no. a little deeper? I'm going to, yeah, I'm definitely going to try to keep going a little bit. So I have a, an old version of it up on Heroku, which was also a new experience for me. This is all stuff that I, I uh, wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole in the past years. And I'm trying to get into that world. Um, I'm hoping to, right now, there's no concepts of 
state within the little server I'm making. So there's no like database that it's connected to. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try to explore that world and, and see if that's the thing that knocks me over or if I'll be able to get past that. <laughs> that's going to be my next my next step in my, my KTOR adventures. There's always that, that learning bump where you hit this line and it's like, okay, I'm absolutely stuck. But once I get through this being absolutely stuck, then I'm going to climb to new plateaus. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling that data, databases are usually where I hit that point of absolutely stuck. So <laughs> I oh. imagine this might be the spot, but I, I'll, just, I'll just keep trucking. Oh, the number of lamp books that I have in the hopes that one day... <laughs> Writing my own little stick. Linux Apache MySQL PHP books. Ooh, PHP. Oh, yeah. And that that's the old stuff back before any of that was object. Mm. I remember that. That's about the time when I was in school. <laughs> oh, my God. Jen, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to have you back on the show. You are always a welcome member of the Ray Wenderlich podcast family. Well, thank you. It's been super fun to see you guys, and I look forward to hearing the rest of Season 10. You can find Jen on Twitter at Jen.Codes. That's J-E-N-N-D-O-T-C-O-D-E-S. Alex is on Twitter sometimes as Alex Sullivan 444. <laughs> I am Podcast Drew. That's D-R-U. Next show, we have another iOS episode. We're going to be pulling in Shai Mishali. And we're going to go back to talking about the new reactive and multitasking framework Combine. Not to be confused with Combine, which we covered last season. That'll be up in two weeks from the release of this episode. In the meantime, that wraps things up for episode two of this season 10 episode of the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.